This show is brought to you by earpeeler.com. And do you have your own show? Not yet. Not yet? Well, bro, you will. After <laughs> this. That was a 19-year-old Victor M. Ruiz back then. Before I even got a start in college radio talking to Dee Snyder, I welcome all of you to episode 125 of the Mars Attacks podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Victor. And that was part of my very first interview ever. And basically, that was me in college. Uh, Was not allowed to have my own radio show because you had to be a record sorter before you could have your own show. And the person that we had that did all the interviews, they only let one person do interviews. And it was a female who was great looking and she must have been good at doing interviews because she was the only one that was allowed to do them. Well, she called out sick that one day and the D. Snyder interview was scheduled. And they asked, they said, well... Do you know anyone else who might be able to do this interview? And I said, yeah, me. And I said, no, 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 you, you can't do the interview. You're, you, you have to, you know, bide your time sorting records. I said, okay, well, who else do you have to do the interview? Well, we're trying to figure that out right now. You know, we're trying to see who would have a good enough voice or this or that to, to do the interview. And I said, well, I guarantee you there's no one else here at this radio station that knows more about Twisted Sister or Dee Snyder than I do. I was half-heartedly full of shit <laughs> because I knew what, you know, what the general public basically knew. Obviously, back then, there was no internet. There was no, you know, fountain of misinformation like Wikipedia to go off of. There wasn't anything like that. So I basically came up with a bunch of questions and I got to talk to Dee Snyder for about an hour. That was my first time that I ever got to rub shoulders, quote unquote, over the phone with a rock star. Dee was promoting his Widowmaker project and I was lucky as shit to be able to be talking to him. And it was it was a very odd situation because, and it's funny because something completely different happened this week to me that that drew parallels to this. Back in November of ninety two is when I did the interview. Actually, I have it dated as November twenty seventh of nineteen ninety two. I had this on cassette, and when I was doing the um, Mark Striegel, uh, when I was on Mark Striegel Radio, I wanted to unearth, you know, some interviews that I'd done back in college. And even today, I went to go listen to this D. Snyder interview, and I just couldn't do it. <laughs> just a little giddy schoolgirl school me who has his nuts up in his throat and, Hello, D. this is my question. I sound more like Mickey Mouse than I do myself. I just couldn't bring myself to doing anything else and bringing any other piece into this show. Um, 
I have that one piece there because it was very emblematic for that time, you know. I played that to so many people, and as a result, I was allowed to do more interviews. So, And I was allowed to become assistant metal director to my good friend Chris Vaglio, who's been on the show a few times. And, yeah, so I got to interview him. I got to interview a, a bunch of different people during my time there was promoted to program, program director the following year. It was a very cool experience. <clears throat> I should have followed it. I should have done what Chris did and gotten into journalism and gotten into this and that and the other thing. And unfortunately, I didn't. So um, I'm not going to get any <laughs> into that because that's a very long story. But anyway, so today we focus on the Great Twisted Sister album, Stay Hungry. And when I was putting this list together, I was thinking of different albums that I could include from this point in time, albums that were important to the MTV generation like myself that sat around waiting for videos to come on all the time. And Twisted Sister became very emblematic of that point in time on MTV. Before MTV, I remember seeing You Can't Stop Rock and Roll on U68, which was a channel that we had that came on over the UHF channels way back then. And a little little after that, my good friend Kim Gladish, um... She gave me the Masters of Metal album that I've talked about in the past, which features that Twisted Sister track. When Stay Hungry came out, my cousin, the heavy metal dentist, Gabriel Ruiz, had Stay Hungry. I immediately copied it onto cassette. Before you can download shit off of the internet or whatnot, the way that we traded or we got stuff for free for the most part, was buying blank cassettes and having a friend copy things onto that cassette. And man, did we ever listen to Stay Hungry. I mean, obviously people know you can't stop rock and roll. (laughs) Wrong album, asshole. (laughs) We're not going to take it and I want to rock. The third single is the price. The price will be emblematic for me, and I've mentioned this on previous shows, because of the whole New York Steel benefit, because unlike some douchebag comedian who said that he was inside the towers, inside of one of the towers during 9-11, I wasn't inside, and I've always mentioned this story. I was about 100 yards away and witnessed the second plane, okay? The New York Steel benefit was something that helped me move forward in my life. Twisted Sisters, the price was that moment when I realized, holy shit, I need to move on with my life. I remember being at this show and just crying when I heard the song because the lyrics were very emblematic for... People that actually passed away, family members who passed away, 
And the survivor's guilt that I was going through at the time and that I continued to go through for a few years before straightening all that shit out in my head. So the price is really an important focal point and I have goosebumps on my arms talking about this. It was a very important focal point for me to move forward with my life during that time period. I will always be thankful to Twisted Sister for helping me do that. One of the most difficult things or annoying things when you become a podcaster is being told that you're not at a certain level to interview someone. And as much as I've talked shit basically about D. Snyder, about the way that he said things about A.J. Perro and whatnot that I didn't agree with, it's my opinion versus his opinion versus whatever. My opinion is basically not important because nobody gives a shit. <laughs> Let's be honest. But one of the things that I wanted to do for the longest time was I did want to re-interview D for this. He was my first interview. I wanted to thank him for that. But I also wanted to thank him for New York Steel. I've always said this. Anytime that I have someone on that has been a part of that event, I've always wanted to thank them because the impact that it had on my life. That's one of the reasons why it sucks to be turned on by Eddie Trunk seven times because it, not that it would be closure, but it would be awesome to just be able to thank him from the standpoint of being a 13-year-old geek listening to him on local radio all the way up to that show and afterwards. So in to today, having my other site, Earpeeler, cheap plug, earpeeler.com, where I'm posting you know, the interviews or the shows that Dee and Eddie Trunk and others are doing. More so now than ever, I see that the site is important to podcasters and different people that, hey, you know, they have their own audiences and whatnot. And having those shows mentioned on Ear Peeler, is that going to make a difference between people checking them out? Probably not. Maybe less than 1% of the people out there that are, you know, going to Ear Peeler are going to check out Eddie Trunk or or D. Snyder, they're going there already. I mean, these guys are huge names. They're a bunch of shows that are like that. But what I want to do is I want to make sure that I share things that are out there with people so that, you know, on that rainy day, you know, I'm, I'm heading home from work and I want to check out a new show uh, that I'm not aware of. Uh, where sh- you know, what should I listen to? Go to earpeeler.com and find, you know, search by subgenres, by audio podcasts, by written um, interviews, by video podcasts, you know, check all that stuff out. Maybe you weren't aware that, you know, Eddie Trunk interviewed, I don't know, he has uh, Klaus Mina from Scorpions on, uh, which which I posted earlier today. Um Maybe you you weren't aware that he interviewed him yet. You didn't get home to browse the internet like you usually do. Well, just put in his name or 
you know, or search by scorpions or search by hard rock or search by whatever you want to search that's within the categories. You know, I try to facilitate as much as possible to you guys um, so that you can check out the the various shows. While you're there, you know, there are ads for Amazon and other stores. Do me a solid and click on one of those and purchase something. It doesn't have to be what's in the Amazon uh, ads, it can be something else that you're looking to purchase. And, you know, I'm not D. Snyder. I'm not Chris Jericho. I'm not Eddie Trunk. I'm not Mark Striegel for that fact or for that matter. You know, I'm trying to get ahead by doing Ear Peeler and a few other sites that I'll be putting out shortly. So if you want to make sure that Ear Peeler is still around, um, please help out. <laughs> you can do so by... You know, using those links to purchase albums or purchase whatever else that you want. So, there you go. During today's show, you will hear comments from the late A.J. Perro. Now, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, all of this, the classic album series, was planned out years ago. Due to health issues, due to basically being poisoned by my doctor... Everything was held up and held back. And um, when I was given permission to include the A.J. Perro comments by John Caddick from Iron City Rocks, A.J. was obviously alive. Um, I'm still going to use A.J.'s comments, or at least part of the interview, because it is important to the history of the band, obviously. So many people have come out and praised his you know his playing and him helping out or, or his helping out of the local scene uh, in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut tri-state area. And it is just incredible the outcry of people that did so. Um, he's obviously influential because I mean, you know, who doesn't know that, you know, Phil that he's playing, that rhythmic pattern that he's playing at the beginning of We're Not Gonna Take It. You know, it's just so emblematic with the rest of the song. And to me, I mean, my favorite track off of this is Don't Let Me Down. I mentioned the price before, but Don't Let Me Down has just been something that, you know, has been very emblematic for me during so many different points in time in my life where... Shit, don't let me down, fucker. <laughs> you know? Um, it, it definitely goes through your head when you go through different scenarios and different things in life. So, there you go. Um, so, a rundown of people that are involved during this audio portion. And just want to remind you guys to go to the website and check out the written comments that people have submitted pertaining to Stay Hungry because they are there. Uh, some of the luminaries, not all of them, but I did mention that A.J. Perro, his comments from Iron City Rocks will be used. Uh, some of the regulars that we've had on recently, so Alan Tecchio, Carl Kennedy, um, the guys from Corners of Sanctuary, uh, obviously Gene Hoagland, uh, Jason McMasters, Jeff Martin of Racer X fame, Joe Stump, uh, John Schaefer of Iced Earth, the hard rock and metal historian Martin Popoff, uh, Mitch Lafon, who broke 
you know, was the first person the day after this whole D. Snyder, Paul Stanley debacle went down. Um, he was the the one to the first one to interview D. And it's funny because all of these other things have come up afterwards, and it's basically just go to that Mitch Lafon episode it was the first one to to break it down, bring it to everyone. But who else? We have Richard Christie that a lot of people you know that a lot of people out there know from the Howard Stern show. Uh, we also have Ross the Boss. We have guys from Toxic and just a whole bunch of other great, great guests that have come on board to discuss Stay Hungry. Uh, just remember that there is a Spotify playlist at the bottom of the page uh, where you can listen to the actual album. You can also purchase it via the links that are on the page as well. And that's pretty much it. You guys have heard me talk for more than enough time here, almost 17 minutes. Here's a word from our sponsor. And afterwards, I bring you Stay Hungry by Twisted Sister. Ear Pillar, the podcasting and interview news site. To keep up with your favorite bands or artists and the podcasts or interviews where they appear, go to earpillar.com to find out what we're all about. From Hades and nonfiction, lead singer Alan Tecchio. Well, we just played uh, Bang Your Head Festival last summer with Twisted Sister headlining. That's Hades. And, uh, you know, it was, <laughs> it was interesting, to, to, put it, to put it nicely. The bass player was super cool to us. Um, J.J. French was sort of like an arrogant rock star. Dee Snyder didn't even really show his head to see anybody. And everybody on this tour, I mean, there were big bands on this, this bill, like Queensryche, and uh, I can't even remember who else was on it, Crocus, a lot. Of, and everybody was so cool. They would hang out backstage in the little area where they had for the bands, and everybody hung out with one another. It was just a great vibe, um, except so much for Twisted Sister. But I'll tell you what, man, all 25,000 Germans that were there sang every single word to the stuff on Stay Hungry. Um, so the test of time has been proven with those guys. I mean, it's, it was amazing to me. It was, it was late at night. I'm walking around this giant field, and all of a sudden, Twisted Sister comes on, and it's as if the second coming was happening. You know, everyone <laughs> crowded the stage and was screaming all the words to all those songs, and most of which I always thought were sort of bubblegum pop metal, and I never really liked them. But I can tell you from a... From a from a local boy standpoint, I know a lot of guys, including Dee Dee Verdi from Overkill, who used to go see Twisted Sister all the time, and they were one of the most amazing live metal bands ever. They could cover songs, they used to do Heaven and Hell, they get back to the Sabbath stuff, and Dee would just sing the crap out of all this stuff. It was so ridiculously good. I guess a lot of bands kind of had to cut their teeth playing all the Jersey clubs and whatnot. And, um, you know, they would always pick Dee. Snyder would always pick Dee Dee out in the crowd. Even though he didn't know who Dee Dee was, you know, I think Overkill was, you know, kind of young at that point. They weren't an established band. But man, and Dee Dee's a little guy. Dee Snyder would find Dee Dee in that crowd every single time, and he was notorious for this, putting the spotlight on different people in the crowd and just ripping on them. <laughs> and, uh, and so while uh, I never really liked Swiss and Sister when they became successful, 
and not for the reasons that most bands don't like bands that become successful. It was more that I just never really liked them. And then when I found out the songs that they were successful with, they were just too bubblegum and pop for me uh, to really get into it. I thought it was kind of silly music. But um, they did cut their teeth in the Jersey club scene, the New York club scene, and it was a little bit before my time, but they were well-respected. I mean, when they did cover songs like Heaven and Hell, like we were talking about earlier, Dee Snyder killed it. The band killed it. They were just super tight and amazing. And uh, they 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 got their success that they definitely deserved. I just didn't like what it kind of sounded like once they got there, you know? Mick, Sean, and James from Corners of Sanctuary. Uh, yeah, that's where all fans are. I mean, I love that fucking album. I mean, I ha- when that album, you know, had it in cassette, I mean, it, it came with me. All the time. That's the album at that at that time. What was that? Eighty four. Mm-hmm. Uh, you like you like big transsexuals. Well, I like big, I, yeah, I like guys that dress like women. Like that, wear makeup and shit. Um, but that album. I mean, Stay Hungry is a, that's the song. Yeah, I, it's I, an I, anthem. It's an anthem album. Yeah. I mean, actually, if you take away, unfortunately, kind of like the she shook me all night long. Like um, uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna take, take it, it, and I want to rock. They they fucking killed that, unfortunately. Um, and then those videos, I think, you know, they were going with the idea, and this is, again, this is just my opinion, they wanted to make the whole thing kind of like fun, but it became, it wound up became an asinine in a way, like because of the overplay and it, it made, Char- yeah, characters of themselves, which took away from, and there were better songs on yeah, the album. Yeah, there were way better songs on the album than those two. I mean, I know, you know, everybody's going for the commercial success, I get it. Um, and then unfortunately that, that character shit, um, carried over to, you know, come out and play and then love is for suckers. I mean, it was like, it's just, they hit a wall, you know, it was horrible, even though, um, come out and play, there's a there couple some good songs, songs and yeah. they come out and like play, song, it's really yeah, cool, you know, um, but that album is twist, you know, stay hungry. It's just, I, it's an awesome album. I, I can't stop rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. yeah. burning hell and yeah, burning hell. I mean, they're they're awesome. great songs. Yeah. I mean, underrated. You know, and and the beauty about again, like about that album is, is there another band that really helped catapult the American metal scene? Now, you know, they they hit the mainstream for sure, and we're in the top, you know, top twenty of you know pop music, and even it got so like around here in Philly, they were. Uh, preempting those songs with like Cheech and Chong records, like they would put, you know, Sister Mary Elephant and all that stuff. You remember that shit? And then, yeah. then you would do the Stay Hungry, you know, the um, We're Not Going to Take It song or something. So, you know, you got like a half hour <laughs> Twisted Sister. But those songs, they're, they're fundamentally simple. However, the impact that they have is, you know, it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, because they're not trying to reinvent the wheel, they're just, just playing it. The way it is and that that was kind of the beauty of uh of twisted sister that rawness like if you if you can on youtube you catch some of the the video that they have um from when they played reading pa mm-hmm. right or was it allentown no it was allentown allentown i mean it's just right it was right maybe a year before the summer before whatever stay hungry came out but mm-hmm. it, they, they were just Can't like on fire in terms of that rawness that they brought you know so I don't know. That's definitely cool. They're definitely a band in a sense that kind of underlyingly um, influenced me, especially some rhythm patterns. I think a lot of bands, and they don't. Some of them don't want to admit it, but I think a lot of different genres like Twisted Sister. I mean, especially the earlier 
under the blade, under the blade, and, uh, under the blade and, and you can't stop rocking. I've heard wrong. some heavier songs yeah, back then, absolutely. you know. So they, I think they influenced a lot of a lot of people too. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think especially in today's today's uh, metal market, whatever the hell that is, uh, I, I think that there's a lot of people that that won't bring that up. But yeah, absolutely. Twisted Sister is, you know, I just I actually just seen a, a video today of we're not going to take it done for some alcoholic beverage, and they have a uh, um, a troop of uh, of a mariachi band in the back, and there's you know, and it, I mean it's funny as hell, but. Uh, you know, and as AJ was still in it as well. And I mean, there, there's an underrated, solid drummer, especially during that time. And I mean, he was just, just yeah. solid. There was nothing. Played. Yeah, it just played. <laughs> it was really cool. From radioactive metal, rock. Stay hungry by Twisted Sister. Mixed, mixed feelings about this one. It's another album that came out uh, right around the time that I was getting into heavy metal, and it. it it helped form my opinion and and love of, of heavy metal but when even back then i when i listened to it i was like there's something that i i'd like it but i don't you know and you know looking back at it all these years i think it's the production i think the production's a little thin on it and you know some of the songs are actually pretty heavy and i think live they were probably like super heavy like burning hell and uh that uh horateria track you know the captain howdy and uh what which one the other one uh the beast also was probably super heavy live but it's just not there on the album you know it's kind of thin and the, the the guitars sound really weak but you know, I, how much of it is the producer's fault and how much of, of it is uh, is the band's fault? I'm not sure. You know, I have no idea. But uh, there, there, there's definitely some really great songs on there. And of course, just like everybody else, we're not going to take it and I want to rock. I got caught up in that hoopla back in the day. They used to play those songs in, at the cafeteria at my school, you know, during a recess and uh, in high school. I mean, in yeah, in high school. Uh, they used to play that those songs at recess and at lunchtime all the time you know to a point where you got sick of them you know videos are great i always thought they were they were a hoot uh but i gotta say i think my uh my uh, two favorite songs on there has to be the that horror teria teria horror teria teria whatever the uh, captain howdy song and, and the other one uh what is it let me let me look at it oh street justice you know so that, that that's good and then uh, also and this may surprise people because of my my background and and the podcast that i do you know we mostly talk about extreme metal but uh the the song the price is one of my all-time favorite songs you know i remember when the video came out i was so ecstatic i was so afraid when i heard that they were doing a video for the price i was so afraid that they were going to come out again in all their costumes and makeup and shit and do like a sappy video but no i really love the fact that it was like it was them in their old you know t-shirt and jeans and and just being on stage and just playing like almost like a sound check in, in a way i just I, I love that video and i love the song um and i remember man i remember back in the day uh having a twisted t twisted sister t-shirt uh, those baseball tees you know that the, they used to have you know the black t-shirt with the white three-quarter sleeves 
And man, mine was killer. I had the one that's killer. Nobody else had in school and had D. Snyder's face like really big in the front. And uh, in the back had the Twisted Sister logo and, and uh, you know, Stay Hungry, of course. And But it was one that I'd never seen ever since, before, since, or, you know, ever. And I remember one day for some reason somebody decided to tease me relentlessly about it and uh i never wore it at school again for some reason they they decided that day that my twisted sister t-shirt needed to be made fun of and i just you know i was you know i was a metalhead but you know i i was kind of shy and you know my feelings were hurt pretty easily back in those days you know 84 you know i was 15 14 15 you know so you know, it was easy to hurt my feelings, so I never wore it again at school. I wore it at home during the weekends and stuff like that, but uh, yeah. So, Stay Hungry, yeah, good album. I give it a six, six and a half. It's not stellar, but there, there, are, there are a couple of really good songs on there. And, uh, and it, but, you know, in a way, it, it helped, like I said, it helped uh, form my, uh, my heavy metal uh, tastes and then and pushed me forward into getting into some heavier stuff. Lord Von Rathenstein of Lords of Tridents. Well, if you're going to talk about Twisted Sister, Stay Hungry, you know, you really got to talk about uh, the the album cover, and you got to wonder how 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 old that piece of meat was that the singer of Twisted Sister is holding on the cover. It just looks sort of gnarly and nasty. Uh, you know, I, I, I look at it, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm, you know, I'm not going to take it, if you will excuse the pun. It's just, it's very raw. If, you know, he came to the to a, a restaurant or something like that. Um, I will say a personal story about Stay Hungry by Twisted Sister. The first time I ever heard a track off of Stay Hungry by Twisted Sister uh, was when I was watching the movie Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Uh, because at the end of the movie, Pee-wee drives or he has on his bike. He's, he's, he's on this fantastical bike. And he ends up biking through the music video uh, for uh, Burn in Hell, I believe. And I was listening to that song, and I'm like, where the heck do I know this song from? And then it hit me like a flashback. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the song from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. So that's, that's, that's very, uh, very salient for me as I'm listening to Stay Hungry. From Zephaniah and Viking, Justin Zeich. It was definitely an album that uh, it was just it was just a full of anthem songs. But the biggest thing I liked about that album was um, the burning hell. It's like, it's just like out of nowhere, here's a song about burning in hell. And then they had that whole, um, that uh, group of songs <clears throat> near the end where it's just about that guy. Um, that one time, I forget what the complete concept was about that song. But that whole album, I was never a Twisted Sister fan until I heard that album. Just because of the song, You're Gonna Burn in Hell. And, I think like Dim and Boogie or, or other bands have covered it since then, you know, being like this iconic dark song where, you know, you have like, we're not going to take it. And what's the other one? The I want to rock, you know, that's the anthems everyone knows. Burning Hell is like, it's a great track. It's completely dark. It can be in heavy metal. It can be an anthem. It can be a classic rock, but it's basically that same sound like Grim Reaper, um, kind of made was just like rock you in hell and whatever and I was that kind of same attitude that really brought the mainstream and the uh 
three classic metal guys to like someone like Twisted Sister. Tom Potter of Gun Driver. Well, you know, you, you got your cl- classics. You know, I want to rock uh, on that one. I, I think, uh, you know, also the title track with the, the, the vocals out of uh, D. Snyder were killer, man. You know, uh, you know, I think he's, I think that guy's got a freaking great voice. And, uh, you know, I mean, there, there's some stuff on that album that is just so classic. It's, it's become Americana, you know? Like, without right. the whole, like, what are you going to do with your life type stuff? And uh, it, it's, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I want to rock. You know, like, right. you can't leave that stuff out of, like, classic metal and classic rock, and it's awesome. The man that continues to shred the envelope, Dave Raffet. Yeah, Stay Hungry by Twisted Sister, man. You know, Twisted Sister is a great band, and it's the only band, uh, one of the few bands I haven't seen that I want to. So next time they come, I'm definitely going to make an effort to go see them while they're still doing it. And uh, this album has so many great tracks on it. Stay Hungry is badass. I mean, that that's like an anthem right out of the gate. And um, I really like the version that Fozzie did of that song, you know, Fozzie with uh, Chris Jericho. Right. I like their version of it a lot. Uh, We're Not Gonna Take It's a killer song. Uh, I Want to Rock, of course, you know. And The Price, man, that song was always a cool, like a power ballad kind of song. I always really enjoyed that one. That showed kind of their depth and, um, you know, that they weren't just kind of one-trick ponies. And um, I think that's what's kept them going for so long and and why they're still pop culture phenomenons is, you know, that the songs survive, you know. If you don't have the songs to back it up, all the image and stuff doesn't won't do it. You got to have songs, and that yeah. Twisted Sister had that in droves, man. Brad's blackouts of Van Lades. That's one that I bought more recently. Um, I've the only Twisted Sister I'd owned like through my youth, getting into music was like a Greatest Hits, and a lot of those songs are from Stay Hungry. But right. that album I bought. Like I said, I think I bought it maybe two years ago, you know. So I've mm-hmm. I've listened to it one or two times, and I I love Twisted Sister, but um, yeah, I mean that I think that's the only actual Twisted Sister album that I own. Um, but yeah, I think that was their kind of their artistic peak. I think that's their best album as well. From Witchcross and Ravenstorn, Count William. Oh man, that is now. This is really uh, wild that we're going into this discussion with this uh, this album too because recently uh, I don't know what it, what it is I was a huge fan as a kid and it was a massive uh, thing I was into I mean from Under the Blade you can't stop rock and roll stay hungry once I got to stay hungry I was I was like crazy about them at that point in time from Twisted Sister and I was like collecting all their vinyl, all their, you know, other tapes. I was putting their posters everywhere. Uh, I loved them. I loved Dee Snyder's voice, their songwriting. And uh, I was, I was heavily into it. And the weird thing is I went through a long period where I didn't listen to them because there were so many bands, you know, coming out after a while that was like hard for me to keep up with. Like I was going into thrash and then I was following grunge and then i was well not really grunge but like the early grunge you know where it was still heavy before it commercialized you know like maybe like the real early sound garden i liked some of that stuff but but then you know i'm going back and listening to old sabbath and going all over the place but you know recently for some reason uh i ended up uh you know digging out an old twisted sister greatest hits thing and i just started listening to it again and i was going crazy and watching all their histories and everything but definitely uh 
uh, Stay Hungry was a damn good album. You know, it was, uh, people uh, get the wrong idea because of we're not going to take it and I want to rock, you know, being such huge uh, video uh, smash hits, you know, that were kind of slightly commercialized and they were way overplayed. But if you, if you put the rest of the album on, it was a very heavy album in a lot of places. And uh, there's some really good songs on there. You know, you're going to burn in hell, for instance. It's like, I mean, come on, you put that song on, it's like Twisted Sister at its heaviest, you know, and it's just like, I mean, there's a lot of good spots on that album that are just amazingly good. The title track, Stay Hungry, you know, everything on there's a, a freaking awesome hit. And, you know, if you get the chance to, or if you don't own it already, I'm sure most people already do, or else you could probably see it on YouTube. But, but the Stay Hungry uh, live home video, which I bought that years ago, I still put that on all the time. Uh, I love that. I love that video. You know, it's from that 19, I believe it was 1986, uh, you know, concert where they played the whole stay hungry album and pretty much, and a lot of, uh, you can't stop rock and rolling under the blade and, and all those albums. And it's good to know. I just want to also say to any other twisted sister fans that are out there that, uh, you know, we all experienced the loss of AJ peril, like not even a year ago. And it was very sad, but, I'm sure, you know, in the afterlife somewhere or, you know, or wherever he is now that he wants us to keep on listening to these albums. But uh, another thing I was really excited, I was just reading about was that, uh, that Twisted Sister are planning another, uh, maybe possibly, this isn't a hundred percent confirmed yet, but they're talking about, uh, you know, doing a, a tour as a tribute to AJ Peril with possibly Mike Portnoy of Dream Theater filling in on drums. But, you know, they definitely said they're going to include a lot of stay hungry material in there. And, you know, I just love that album. I mean, I'm, I don't want to keep going on and on. I am a massive fan of them though, but you know, great album. I have to say it's very heavy in a lot of places, but you know, a lot of people who don't know it that well, they think of, you know, we, we're not going to take it and I want to rock. It's just, you know, they think the band's just all silly and that's kind of what became their downfall. Unfortunately, you know, even, even on, uh, you know, a lot of their other albums, they did have one or two, you know, slightly poppier songs. And then they had the rest of the album that really kicked ass. That was just, you know, like a kind of a pattern with their, with their writing style, but it's just unfortunate that they couldn't, you know, use like some of the more heavier material as singles, but that's just the way the marketing strategy was back then, probably that kind of screwed them, which wasn't their fault, but you know, Hey, it was a great album and I still love it. I, and also I, I love the, uh, the new, uh, still hungry, uh, one that they did in like early, uh, 2002 or three, I they think they redid the whole album and, uh, they kept it pretty close, but I think they just, uh, you know, they re-recorded it or something, but I like both of them. Josh Christian of Toxic. Um, Josh. Uh, uh, Twisted Sister was a, a, a local band for me where I grew up outside of New York City. They were from Long Island, and they played at the clubs locally before they broke. And Stay Hungry uh, was their launch record. It was the album that put them into the spotlight. And was the album where they had all the videos. There was a sort of a video album combo that went on that worked very well for Twisted Sister because their image was so important to what they did. Um, and that record was, was right at the height of video making. And it was pretty awesome to see a local band blow up the way they did. 
again, I used to sneak in through bars when I was 15 and 16 years old to see Twisted playing, and so it was great to see a local band go huge like that. From Australia, Death Dealers and Blasted to Statics, Stu Marshall. Well, now you're talking. Um, now you're talking. I think that album is probably one of the most important heavy metal albums in my life. Um, I picked that up when I was around about 11 years old because uh, I really liked the album cover played it and it completely changed me um you know Eddie Ojeda's guitar playing on this album is just incendiary uh the songs you know the song The Beast uh I think it's one of the heaviest songs I'd heard <clears throat> uh, in sort of my early metal listening period so while that song or that album I should say was a huge chart hit it's worth going back and listening to how raw and heavy that album actually is because that was before the big hits started to roll in, so Dee's voice, great production, love the album. He's written a million and one books about hard rock and metal, Martin Popov. One thing I remember my impression of this record uh, as a 21-year-old um, would have been that, um, okay, the first album, amazing classic, pretty darn heavy album. Second album was a little bit commercial and even. Um, the thing about Stay Hungry we noticed was that um, it had uh, two or three of their heaviest songs ever, and it had some of their lighter, lightest, most commercial songs. So it was it was basically as good as the second album, but it had uh, peaks and valleys, which is both a good and bad thing. Um, wasn't too crazy about the production. I found it too too kind of shockingly mid rangey. Um, thought the album cover was stupid. Basically, they were they were turning much more into a kiddie band. You can tell that they were moving into the mainstream. Um, even before they, it, it was a hit. Um, the the album moves into the mainstream, but they were still dirt poor. I mean, they were they were still not a big band. It was, they were only getting rich after the album took off. But but even making this album um, showed that they were deliberately trying to move into the sort of uh, the the tweenies and young teens market. So wasn't happy about that. But it does have some pretty pretty heavy songs on it. The Shred Lord. Joe Stump. And, and that's the one, of course, like I, I used to go see Twisted Sister all the time growing up in New York. I used to go see them um, when I was a kid. And and this is back when um, they were still playing like Lou Reed and David Bowie covers. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so, 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 but, but, you know, D even back then was like outrageous and, and, you know, and kind of like had that really strong personality. And, you know, and, and I remember the Under the Blade record, I believe, was, um, was you know, like some British import that, like, kind of helped break them. And then, you know, and then they ended up uh, doing, and they were doing so well without any kind of, like, real large label support. I think Stay Hungry was the first one they did on a big label, and that's, you know, obviously the one that, that um, with, with all the big hits on it. Sure. What, what Lou Reed and David Bowie tracks were they doing? I'm assuming that Bowie was Suffragette City or something like that. Uh, yeah, like like that that era Bowie and like Lou Reed, like at the time, like Rock and Roll Animal was a big um, was a big was a big record in the '70s. You know, you had Sweet Jane and White Heat, White Light, and all those kind of stuff, all those kinds of things. So you know, I think they were they were doing some of their own stuff. But, you know, they were wearing that, you know, this is back when they were wearing makeup, but this is 
right around the same era as, as Kiss were, you know what I mean? And they were kind of like, you know, all kind of, you know, almost look kind of like in drag a little bit. Well, that whole kind of very glammy kind of, you, you know, you had um, bands like uh, Mott the Hoople and that whole kind of, you know, that's 10 stars and that whole kind of 70s glam kind of thing that they were, um, you know, they had some of that going, but even to a you know, much heavier extreme. From Racer X, Jeff Martin. Oh, that's great. I, you know, it's funny. I just got to hang out with those guys, uh, not Twisted Sister, but Dee Snyder himself. And it was here at Wisconsin. Uh, Lynch opened, and they were great. Uh, but Dee Snyder is, and I never got to see those. I, I actually, no, that's not true. I, I got to see them open for uh, Rob Hall for, uh, for Priest way back when, when they were full on, you know, the full makeup thing and, and they were in their full swing. Um, but D Snyder now is, he is the most amazing front man I've seen in ages. He's 60 years old. When he pulled his shirt off, all the women in the crowd gasped and it's like, uh, God, you could bounce a quarter off of him. He's just like, unbelievably cut and hard and I have to get to the gym, especially after me being in Wisconsin for as long as I am, because I'm just back here, eating, you know, cream puffs and cheese curds and bratwurst. And, and all he said is he, un, unlike, um, Ozzy and the people who say, this is my last tour and I'm retiring. He says, I am retiring next year. I'm going to the beach and I'm going to eat something. <laughs> and he looks like it, but yeah, that was a great, uh, a great album, and I love the drum work on that album. Just fantastic! What a, what a great drummer he was, and uh, I mean, underrated as far as he should have had his face on many modern drummer covers. I'm, I'm sure he did, but I didn't buy them all, so I don't know. But yeah, the drum work on that is fantastic. And he's just such a smart son of a bitch that, you know, uh, he's, he's got all this stuff planned out. He's a genius in rock and roll. He really is. The host of One on One with Mitch, Talking Metal Digital's own Mitch LaFun. Wow. Stay hungry. There's an album uh, for you. Uh, you know, you had J.J. French who had tried out for Kiss and failed. Right. You had this band that had been around in the 70s, I forget exactly when, 74, 75, playing the Long Island, New York scene and uh, making absolutely no noise. I mean, nobody cared. And then they were paired with sort of cheap trick producer extraordinaire Tom Worman. And suddenly, out of nowhere, you know, here comes this band. And... You know, they they were very lucky in terms of timing. Uh, MTV had just come out. MTV needed content. MTV was visual music. It wasn't radio music. So you couldn't just, you know, uh, be in your slippers on a, on, a, on a stool singing a song. You had to be visually exciting. <laughs> and Twisted Sister uh, musically might have lacked some stuff. I mean, I don't think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to say that uh, Animal or A.J. Perro or, 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 or J.J. French are the greatest at their instruments. But you combine that look 
with that need for MTV to have visually appealing bands and the breaking hard rock scene. And, you know, before we mentioned the perfect storm and stay hungry was the perfect storm. It really, it was that New York snotty attitude, you know, that, that sort of Brooklyn attitude with, with the best elements of, of, of kiss and, and the showmanship of kiss and, enough musical chops to make it pop worthy and and visually appealing that MTV said hey we got to play this and that one video for we're not going to take it is what made that album if that video hadn't been and I don't know what the word you want to use is endearing cute funny comical uh you know tongue in cheek whatever the word you want to if it wasn't for that video, I don't think anybody would have cared about that album. And so they, they, they really benefited from the right time and the right place. I mean, when you talk about an album about right time and right place, I think Twisted Sister is like the best example. I mean, had that album come out in you know 1989, it would have been too late. Had it come out in 1977, it would have been too early. And they just they just hit it it was it was just the perfect combination of gritty raw you know sloppy guitar playing and sloppy playing mixed in with perfect visuals and mixed in with a supply and demand chain at MTV that just required that kind of video to be shown and it just worked and you know you, you what what can you say about about Worman He's he's one of those producers that can punch them out a dime a dozen, right? Right. Yeah, so many people complain, but uh, you know about the finished product. But he did this one. He did Shout at the Devil. He did, as you said, uh, some Cheap Trick albums as well. And you know his his track yeah, you know, record. <laughs> I don't know. First of all, I know Tom, and I've, I've stayed at his house for a weekend and stuff. Okay. And and. I don't understand why people bitch and moan about Tom. First of all, he was a record company producer. He was one of the stable producers, you know, that they had, and they would just put him on the project. He wasn't one of these guys that you went and sought out. <laughs> but if it wasn't for In Color and I Want You to Want Me, I don't think anybody would have cared about Cheap Trick. If it wasn't for We're Not Gonna Take It, nobody would care about Twisted Sister because they they hadn't for 15 years before that or 10 years right. before that, and you know Motley Crue. Uh, sorry to say, but up until Shout at the Devil, nobody cared about Motley Crue, and I don't think they would have cared if they had made another album that hadn't been Shout at the Devil. So, for everybody who bitches and moans about Tom Worman, I think you just have to look at his track record and say, hmm. In color, shot at the devil. He did some stuff with a Canadian band up here called Glass Tiger, and, right. and you just go, I don't know, top ten hits all over the place. Seems pretty successful to me. And all the bands have tried to make albums without Tom, and they've never been as good. Twisted Sister tried to redo, um, uh, what was it? What do they call it? Uh, St Still hungry? Was it? Right. Uh, what's mm -hmm. it called? Yeah. yeah. Oh, we made it more aggressive. We made it more of this. You know what? It ain't. It ain't. It ain't. Stay hungry. Sorry to tell you. Cheap Trick re-recorded in color with Steve Albini 
from uh, the, you know the Seattle sub pop scene. Guess what? Right. Ne- never been released. You know, if you're <laughs> in the inner circles and stuff, or if you're if you look on the internet, you can find it and download it. And if you compare the two, there's no way that that the Steve Albini in color is anywhere near as good as the Tom Worman. And you look at Motley Crue; they went, "Ah, oh, we don't like Tom Worman. Screw him." And then they went off and did Girl, Girls, Girls, and um, people bitch and moan about Tom Worman all the time. The Twisted Sister guys especially moan about him. The Cheap Trick guys moan about him. But you know what? What have you done for me lately, boys? What have you done that's as good as those Tom Worman albums? And the answer is, especially with Twisted Sister, nothing. Twisted Sister has done nothing even remotely close to that Tom Worman album, Stay Hungry. From Death Dealer and Dictators NYC, Ross the Boss. My friends from New York, Mark Mendoza was in the Dictators, great record. The mastermind behind Ice Earth, John Schaefer. Killer, classic, love it, yeah. I love all the old, old Twisted Sister. Probably up to that album. Right. Know, come out and play was okay, but it, it was a little too commercial, you know. But they always had a track on the album that was, you know, right. totally pop. But the, but uh, it was there, there was some great. I think there was some great stuff, man. D. Snyder's got a cool voice. And, you know, I think he's a great writer because I think he wrote most of that stuff. Music, mm-hmm. music yeah, well. it, he's credited with everything. And everything. So yeah, I, I think uh, that guy was he was awesome, man. Actually, or is awesome. The man that has played with all your favorite bands, Gene Hoagland. By Boy, far, sister was great. Like, they were my favorite band when they put out Under the Blade. Like, they okay. were amazing. Under the Blade is still one of my favorite records. Be- you know, the thing I loved about Twisted Sister is that they did have a bunch of double bass songs. And, you know, right. Stay Hungry and Burn in Hell, what a great song. Even though that is, you know, a, a homage to uh, Neon Nights by Black Sabbath. I mean, the riff is the exact same in the song. Um, right. Uh, so that's another great that's on the list too, but we'll get to that one. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Stay Hungry, that was a killer record. You know, the production, pretty dodgy, kind of sounded like they recorded it in a fire hydrant. But, um, <laughs> but you know, and I got still hungry when they put that out. And I was like, well, you know, okay. <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah. um, you know, Twitch Sister was my, my favorite band in 1982. <laughs> When I got um, when I got under the blade, Dee Snyder was my very first rock and roll pen pal. I remember I, huh. I I I wrote him a a letter when I was about fourteen, and that was you know I was like many other fourteen year olds, how many other twenty five year olds when I was like, you put out an album, you are a star, you are a millionaire. If you put out a record, you have lots of money. You have lots of fan mail. You're probably getting thousand pieces of fan mail a day. What could I put in my letter that will stick out and make me write me? So, you know, I asked him a bunch of like real hipstery questions, like, "Hey, man, why do you guys use the makeup when you guys also do the just the denim look, which fucking metal is cool, you know? <laughs> why do you guys do the the gay ass makeup?" and and then at the end of the letter, I was like, so, Dean, if you would like, you know, I was just trying to get his attention somehow and to write me back. And I was like, I wrote, if you would like to, you know, uh, drop me a line and become a member of the Gene Hoagland fan club, by all means, please do so. 
And he wrote back like a week later, like to whom it may concern, like the Gene Hoagland fan club is a big, is a big thing. You know, I thought that was really cute. And he's like, I would love to be a member of the Gene Hoagland fan club. So I thought that was really fun. And we wrote a couple letters back and forth and he was super cool. And I just love him as a front man. I love his voice. I think he's got one of the greatest metal voices of all time. And, you know, I, 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 I'm a fan of Twisted Sister, totally, you know, I even bought Love is for Suckers, you know, because I had some really cool <laughs> songs on it, and, um, yeah. you know, so I, I I don't know how I could be okay with, you know, like, here I talk about all the makeup-wearing cock rock from L.A. that sucked ass, but Twisted Sister was just heavy. They were heavy. They were cool. They were dark. They weren't, you know, even... Like Bad Boys of Rock and Roll, which is a party rock and roll song, is the is the best of all of that era of party rock. I think. Right. And uh, you know that came off Under the Blade, and you know the song Under the Blade, and Tear It Loose, and you know uh, if you don't uh, what you don't know sure can hurt you. You know songs like that off Under yeah. the Blade were amazing, and I thought they they stayed. Um, they stayed very true to their roots and still wrote a bunch of really heavy for, for Stay Hungry, you know, the title track and, and you know, Burn in Hell and, and um, you know, a bunch of the other songs that are on there. You know, Captain Howdy and all that stuff. Those are heavy songs, you know, Street Justice. Yeah. Those were all really, really cool songs, and they did a really good job, you know. I think was the price on that one. Yep, yes it was. Right. Yeah, that was a big ballad, and, you know, okay, you got to have your ballad song on there. Not a shabby song. I was never a power, I was never a power ballad guy. So, uh, but, you know, they did a decent job with that, and, you know, Stay Hungry was a killer record, you know, that just because they, and, and the cool thing about them live is, what, were they on Coke or something? Because all their songs just <laughs> into, like, full-on speed metal mode live, you know? So, yeah, they would play their songs twice as fast live and you know that that was cool you know hell you got a really chugging double bass number and then you play it live and it's fucking just flat out speed metal way to go twisted to totally he was part of watchtower dangerous toys broken teeth and a plethora of other projects jason mcmaster once again i love every song uh and i like how d snyder says that when they called twisted sister a hair metal band they were a bit upset because they're just a rock and roll band. It's like calling Motorhead a heavy metal band. They're just a blues band on 10. And it's ultimately, which turns, that's just rock and roll. When you turn, when you put, when you turn blues on its head, they call it rock and roll. When it's got boogie woogie, but it's fast and makes you sweat. That's rock and roll. So, um, every song, the, the title track is incredible. I think the ballad on there is, incredible i think that uh you know burn in hell is is like a secret heavy metal song you know it's like uh it's fat it's kind of like motorhead but it has this other thing to it as well it's campy it's it's uh it's like kiss it's like uh it's it's almost punk rock The, the the fact that i can say that twisted sister would almost kind of be punk rock uh makes a lot of sense in my brain it's kind of like you know motorhead is kind of like punk rock uh ultimately it's not you know it's got the snarly attitude that punk rock has all the way through you know i think d snyder's one of the best front men in history uh in rock and roll 
And I know a thousand people right now that would agree with me. So, but I think every song uh, on Stay Hungry is is amazing. And it, I hate saying this because you know people are gonna know that here I am, Jason McMaster, saying this. But that's probably the best Twisted Sister record. That one and Can't Stop Rock and Roll. Those are probably the best Twisted Sister records. From the Rods, Carl Kennedy. You know, we've done a number of dates with Twisted Sister. I love the band. I love the guys. And, uh, you know, I thought it was just a great album. So they had nothing specific to add to it. Although AJ's passing, you know, and he, was, he was a great drummer. And it's, uh, you know, it's just such a loss. And he was a good guy and a great drummer. He's been part of Death, Iced Earth, and found at Charred Walls of the Damned. You can hear him mornings on Howard Stern, Richard Christie. Twisted Sister Stay Hungry I got on cassette for Christmas of 1984, I think it was. I was 10 years old, and that album, I mean, it was, you know, we're not going to take it. When you're a 10-year-old kid and you hear we're not going to take it, that, that's like an, the ultimate little kid's anthem. And uh, I just, I love it. I, and and uh, like Burn in Hell, that's such a heavy song. And I love The Price. Like that's one of my favorite ballads ever. It's like a really heavy ballad. And uh, I, that album was huge for me. That was, I think, the second cassette tape that I ever got. The first one was Quiet Riot, Metal Health. And second was uh, Twisted Sister, Stay Hungry. And uh, that that album is, is just it's legendary and I know they went or went back and re-recorded it a few years ago but I love the sound of the first album I think the drums just have such a unique and like it, it almost sounds like he's playing on uh like trash cans or big barrels or something it's such a, a metallic type sound to his drums but I like it because that you know they're a very kind of urban New York type band and and i love that the the sound that they got on that album courtesy of iron city rocks the late aj perro great pleasure i welcome to the show from twisted sister aj perro how are you doing aj good i'm doing real good how you doing i'm doing wonderful and it is a real honor to talk to you um you know as is a child of the 80s there are probably no more influential records than than stay hungry um and i still remember when you guys uh took over MTV, uh, and what a huge impact uh, between Twisted Sister, Quiet Right, and Def Leppard you were on, on a kid in his early teens back then. So it is, is an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, well, let me ask just a couple questions. You guys um, were not a product of L.A. You came out of, of New York. You were born in, in New York, correct? Yes, I was actually, um, I personally was born in Brooklyn. Okay. Uh, like so many Italian Americans that their uh, uh, parents and grandparents come over and um, you know set up shop in, in in the city, and then as things get a little bit um, better, you know, when, once they start working, and this is what I was told, my grandfather and my grandmother came over. They were factory workers, and then eventually opened up their own business, and then they moved to Brooklyn, which Brooklyn back then was kind of the you know you only moved there if you know, you want to make sure you get a lot of land, you know, mm -hmm. like, not like we know it today. Um, so then eventually, uh, I was born in 59. Uh, I was born before the bridge was completed, actually. The bridge okay. was completed in 64, which we came over, ironically, on the boat, sorry, <laughs> from Brooklyn yeah. to Staten Island. 
And uh, I lived in Staten Island now my whole life, so it's about 48 years, about 48 years that I'm on Staten Island. Not bad. Now, you are um, kind of ironically the new guy in Twisted Sister. I mean, you were you were the only one uh, to join the band in the 80s. Everybody else kind of got yeah. together in the 70s. How did you kind of hook up with the guys? <laughs> and that's still a joke that goes on today. I mean, they I'm still haze you for that? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be in the band 30 years, and I'm still a new guy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I... Um, they call me the oldest rookie. Um, but, yeah, it, it is funny because, uh, like so many people from New York um, in the late 70s, I graduated high school and uh, didn't really know what to do, wasn't sure if I wanted to go to college. Um, I was a big uh, high school baseball player, and uh, I blew my knee out. Uh, it was a junior year. I, I still played music. Music and baseball always, uh, you know, um, tied. As far as what I wanted to do, I blew my knee out in '76, uh, and um, my father, you know, my father had said, "Listen, you're you're, you're a great musician, great drummer. Stick with that. You know, see what happens." And I'm like, "All right, all right." So I did. So after I graduated high school, didn't know what I wanted to do if I wanted to go to music college or not, and uh, I took a road trip out to California. Uh, subsequently ended up staying out there for about nine months, didn't like the scene and came back. And when I came back, I ended up um, meeting uh, an older high school buddy of mine that says, wow, we heard you move, blah, blah, blah. He says, yeah. And so let's go out. So we go out and I said, where are we going? He says, oh, we're going to this place called the Rock House. I said, really? He's playing. He says, ah, oh, some bad twisted sister. They, you know, wear makeup and stuff. Uh -huh. And being a big Kiss fan, you know, like everybody dresses, says, oh, for Kiss. Uh, for Halloween, you know, during that uh, early 70s sure. Uh, sure. thing, uh, we went out to see Twisted, and it was um, like uh, I was just in awe. <laughs> just, wow, I said, they're a great band. So um, about seven months later, and this was around maybe the early 81, like I'd say February, March of 81, um, I ended up getting a call from my buddy. Now he's working with the band, and he ended up being their guitar tech. And he said to me, he says, listen, they're uh, twisted to auditioning. He says, but nobody's supposed to know about it. And I'm like, really? I said, can you give me an audition? He said, sure, no problem. Give me a, you know, some kind of tape. So I gave him a package, you know, cassette tape, had my name on it, and gave him a promo shot and a nice resume and stuff. And uh, he gave it to the guys, you know, in the band, and uh, I didn't hear anything. So around um, September of that year, I get a call, and uh, this guy tells me, listen, you got to get down here. This was Saturday night, 1030. I just got home from work. I was working at a hardware store, and uh, he says, you got to get down to this club in Jersey. I'm like, come on. It's like an hour drive. He says, well, get down here. D wants to meet you. And I'm like, oh, man, okay. I jump in the car. I go down to Soul Factory in New Jersey. I meet D and the rest of the guys in the band, and I auditioned um, two weeks later. I did two auditions because um, they wanted to be sure. Mm -hmm. um, the original drummer uh, nailed the first audition, but then when they got him in the band, he ended up getting worse and worse and worse as every show went by. So I wanted to make sure. So I did it. I uh, started rehearsing with them uh, October 81, and uh, my first gig was around uh, the last week of March of 82. Okay. And um, the, rest, the rest is history. And then you guys went in and, and you played on the End of the Blade album, correct? Yes, I did. That was okay. my first album, and I was just in the band. Um, like I said, we recorded that album in June or July. Okay. So I just got in the band that last week of March. 
So, and from there, I think a lot of people probably are guilty of not knowing uh, about Under the Blade and You Can't Stop Rock and Roll, which for, for metalheads, yeah. uh, probably are just as tasty as Stay Hungry when it comes to, you know, the record collection. But obviously, you guys continue to build up momentum and then 1984 came out. When you guys went in to make Stay Hungry, did you have a sense that, that, of what it was going to do for the band? No, um, and what we did, that was the only album, um, the, well, I'm going to say not the only album, that was the first album that we actually, uh, do, actually took two months off and wrote 20 songs. Okay. Uh, but he didn't write full songs. What he did is he wrote verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and bridge. Okay. And we went down to the studio and we recorded all 20 of that maybe minute or minute and a half snippets of ideas and we did you know okay pick out your favorite 13 mm -hmm. so each guy in the band and the producer who who happened to be tom uh oh god i can't think of his last name um but he had the producer and uh the guys in the crew we all had lists we had about 10 lists of what our favorite song was or our favorite top 13 songs were that we were going to arrange and put on the album. And funny enough, <laughs> we're not going to take it, didn't make anybody's list except <laughs> mine and any. <laughs> that was the least favorite of the 20 songs. And, um, when we had, we had fought, when we had fought Tooth and Nail and said, well, this is a great song. And he says, well, you know what? Yeah, this kind of catchy, you know. And we all had said, you know, as such, um, that's when we, we started, really get it to it and arranging the stuff and then mm -hmm. once we got it to the studio um we we doing the album we kind of were and i'm not gonna say experimenting but we wanted to make it where it was a lot more polished and uh finished than the other two albums mm -hmm. that we had done so stay hungry was um was actually probably one of the best albums that that we did uh back then recording wise mm -hmm. Now, when you guys did, um, we're not going to take it. I mean, did you just kind of have that? The, the intro drum piece is, is, you know, pretty special. Did, was that something you came up with, or, or did you have different iterations of that before you came up with what is what's on the no, record? Actually, what was funny is the um, uh, it, one of D's favorite drummers, and that's one of the reasons why I got the gig. Mm -hmm. One of D's favorite drummers has been Cozy Powell. Okay. Rest his soul. He was a friend of mine. I knew him after I met him. He was one of my favorite drummers too. Uh, him, Ian Pace, John Bonham, uh, Ward, those drummers back in in the seventies were were very influential on my rock playing. Sure. Uh, Danny Sarafin from Chicago, who I still talk to today, was very influential for me making the crossover from jazz to rock. But mm -hmm. for the most part. Uh, Cozy Powell was one of the drummers that I said, wow, I was seeing him live with Rainbow, and it was just amazing. So Dee had said, listen, he goes, uh, you know, Stargazer, and, you know, you know the beginning of Stargazer. But I said, yeah. I said, that's a great beginning. I said, you want me to do something like that? He says, no. He goes, but I want you to come up with something that's going to be a cadence that's going to be something that people, are, even if you play one note, you're gonna know automatically that that's that song. So mm -hmm. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I said, look, give me a, 
a couple of days on it. I go down my basement, you know, where I had the studio, and I'm sitting there, sitting there, sitting there, and I'm like, oh, let me try this, let me try that. For the most part, I just came out with it just because I, uh, it was just like something that I just experimented with, but perfected it. I went to, re, you know, to uh, pre-production next time, and he said, that's great, I love it. So, you know, that's how I ended up coming coming about with it. I guess I was always good uh, for my background musically, always good with coming up with um, drum things that were kind of signature. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what a lot of people uh, today, you know, yeah, you go I mean, to a lot of stadiums, and uh, the first thing, like Shea Stadium, is that Shea Stadium? They never have to play the song. Since I heard at the beginning, my wife's like, ah, that's all, I'm not going to take it. You know, so... Uh, that's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like signature influential, but um, I, you know, I, I appreciate it that everybody likes it. Yeah, I mean that's got to be up there. I mean, you know, with the echelon of "We Will Rock You," is you hear a drum beat, and you know what song it is. I mean, that's oh, absolutely, and like same, you know, um, same thing with rock and roll by Zeppelin, or yeah, uh, you know, even even the uh, the beginning cowbell to "Honky Tonk Woman" is kind of yeah. like yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. you know. <laughs> you know what song it is, and that's where you try to make it, and that's what I thought about it, and said, "Ah, huh, let me come up with something that's a cross between this, 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 and that." And the end result was the beginning of how you know it today. Yeah, well, that, that's certainly a lofty goal to you know try to come up with you know something that memorable and mission accomplished. So uh, kudos. Um, obviously, you. you guys benefited greatly from. MTV as we knew it back then, certainly not MTV yeah. as we know as it today. We it. Yeah, yeah. Good, uh, I'm glad you said that as we knew it. Yeah, rest in peace to MTV. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you guys, you know, I imagine as a live band in New York. I mean, obviously with Kiss, you mentioned and Alice Cooper and, and a lot of other, yeah. you know, the New York Dolls and bands like that. Yeah. The glam and makeup wasn't maybe the most. You know, you guys weren't the only guys on the block with it, but you guys certainly had a look. Uh, to you, then when you came busting through the door on the on the TV screens to America, you were probably the first oh, band absolutely. to jump out of the TV. Absolutely. Um, do you think that's that's kind of what led you know what got you guys MTV or the label's decision to kind of put you guys right at the forefront of MTV? I don't know. I, I'm thinking. See, I wasn't really a big MTV watcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been. I've I got to say, honestly, I've been more a jock my whole life than I have been a rock and roll musician, uh-huh. or rock and roll icon, or whatever you want to call it. Um, so MTV, to me, I'd rather watch the ball game or something like that to watch MTV. But uh, back then, if I remember correctly, MTV was trying to establish themselves, and they were trying to be this uh, entity that there was nothing else around like it. So I think they were uh, actually a little bit more liberal uh, when Twisted, by using Twisted, they kind of like shocked America, and that's when I think America started saying, wow, MTV's really cool, and then the floodgates opened. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you remember some of the videos that were on before, you know, when I, or even, even that live concert that we did from, oh, um, yeah. you know, I mean, you have this thing, now I'm sitting in the living room, um, and, and with, you know, with friends and family, and I didn't know what to expect. I remember doing it, but this is like, who, you know, who really saw any, any concerts on TV back then? Yeah. Uh, except for like Midnight Special and, and Don Kirsch's rock concert, stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. but it, this was like, here you go, you got a full blown out satellite. 
around the world um, concerts featuring Twisted Sister on MTV, and I'm like, well, I didn't know what to expect. This is pretty cool. And yeah. then it, it came on, and it was like jumping through a TV set, and I'm like, wow, that's when it hit me that, you know, maybe MTV did latch on to something by shocking America and America turning around and grasping MTV. And, and then they started putting, obviously they started getting, you know, other different yeah. type of act on there. Um, yeah. The other thing that I have to say bad about MTV back then was that um, they started getting too mainstream. So when Twisted came out with um, the zombie video, that we had with Bob Goldwaite, they took it off because it was horrible, but then they ended up playing Michael Jackson's Thriller, which yeah. I think was just was just as bad. They ended up playing the, you know, uh, the crap out of that. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's like, all right, well, here we are. We're one of the, we opened up one of the doors. We opened up, and then they forgot us. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's the only bad thing i got to say about, you know, that situation. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it was... Um, uh, it, not competition, but you have all these bands that come out with the glam. And you mentioned the New York Dolls, which I still talk to David Johansson today. He's on Staten Island. He's a Staten Island boy. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, of course, uh, Ziggy Saw does David Bowie, and then uh, um, T-Rex and, and Sweet, and all these bands that were considered glam. And then we were considered glam metal. And whatever other now it's hand, now it's hair bands and whatever they wanted to come up with. Yeah. Um, I think I think back then, the thing that separated Twisted Sister from the rest of the rest of the bands is that we were kind of like a freight train coming through your living room, wearing girly makeup, which it, it was kind of like hypocritical. I think you know. Yeah, it was it was, it was actually, I funny. Think, well done because you, know? I mean, you guys. I don't want to say, you didn't look like women. You certainly did not look like no. women where, you know, no. some of the other bands of the genre, you had to kind of scratch your head, you know, uh, you know. With, oh, with, yeah. I mean, Vince Neil, man, in, in the early day, I mean, you know, mm -hmm. if, I, if I went that way, I definitely would have tried to pick up Vince Neil. I mean, you know, that, <laughs> that's, that's the way that, you know, back then you couldn't tell, you know. Um, some of the dudes in the clubs that we played, some of the dudes looked better than some of the women that used to come see us. But our thing was the shock value. And we always said that, D always stressed it, and JJ always stressed it, we're shock rock, the shock value. You come and see us, even when we played our first tour, opening for Blackfoot and Crocus in the mm -hmm. Midwest, coming on stage at 7.30 in the afternoon, you know, at night, first yeah. band, sunlight is bright. Here we are in the Midwest, and people looking at us like, would you get a load of these guys? You know, it's like, <laughs> wow, we're going to die. We're going to die. One of these days, somebody's going to take out some shotguns and blow us away. But you know what? They looked at us, and then they heard us, and then they felt us, and then they loved us. Yeah, I can, I can imagine the shock on an audience if you're going to see Ricky Medlock and, and Blackfoot, uh, who aren't known to be the most colorful bands. You guys come on on stage. It had to be quite a shock. Oh, God. It was, it, I, I'm telling you, if I, had to, if I had to make a movie, which I write, you know, I write screenplays and I write uh, movies and stuff. If I had to make a movie, I think that would be. Um, I'm gonna let me, let me rephrase that. If I had to make a comedy movie, because I'm mostly yeah. sci-fi, thriller, and drama. Mm -hmm. If I had to write a comedy movie, I would write it based on that situation yeah, that and is... everything that we went through, and it would be 
funny. It would be real funny. Yeah, that would that would be an excellent thing. Now, obviously, um, post Stay Hungry, things got a little little rocky towards the the, the middle and latter part of the '80s for the band. Uh, and then you guys kind of just put it on hiatus, and, and everybody kind of went and did their own thing. Uh, yes. Thankfully, what was it, about 10 years later, you guys got back together and um, started doing it again. Um, a great record, Still Hungry. Um, for those of you who are a fan of Stay Hungry, Still Hungry is, is probably a must-have. Um, and then you guys really kind of hit pay dirt again with the Twisted Christmas album. Um, oh yeah, that that was fun, uh, especially recording that in June. Yeah, um, I, I had to keep sticking my head in the freezer just to kind of get the uh, the atmosphere going, you know. Yeah. Um, Mark was shredding up paper and throwing it at me as I'm playing the drums to make it look like snow, because it was just uh, ironic how here we are recording a Christmas album in the middle of June, but uh, it ended up uh, as JJ says that was the album that. What he wanted to end so we didn't have to go out on tour anymore. And that's not in a negative sense. That's just like, no offense to our fans. We love uh-huh. our fans. But, we're, you know, I'm the youngest. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 52. Uh-huh. So, you know, the, the Geritol and the uh, the Walkers are not really too far away. The arthritis yeah. medicine is not too far away. But the thing is, is that we had said, listen, we've never done anything like this. Let's, let's try it. What do we got to lose? You know, sure. we can't. You know, and we did it, and, and that was the whole thing. Uh, you were talking about Still Hungry. Um, that was the way that we originally wanted to record Stay Hungry with mm-hmm. that veracity, and we couldn't. Our hands were tied. We had to be more of a pop than mm-hmm. what we portrayed. So that was the way we w- would have recorded it if we were allowed to record it. The problem is, is a lot of people... Uh, had a negative view on it and says, how could you take a classic and redo it? You know, that would be like taking Dark Side of the Moon, you know, Pink Floyd say, listen, uh, let's redo Dark Side of the Moon because I wanted to add a couple of drum fills here and I'd my yeah. face down and redo it. I could see their point, but un- they have to understand the way we felt as musicians that wasn't the best representation of ourselves. Yeah. So we... That's why we did it. I think a lot, a lot of people probably don't get to see inside the studio and realize that there's a record company breathing down your neck, and, and they put you in with Tom Worman on purpose. Tom Worman, thank you. <laughs> I was gonna, I was, I was gonna like just go and run and try to find a Twisted album. Yeah, around I, here. Now, ooh, the ooh, name ooh, was on the top of my head. I was thinking it was the guy who did Girls, 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 if I'm not mistaken, with Motley Crue. Yes. Shout out to Devil. Well, he did uh, two or three albums with them. Yeah, but I mean, when when bands went in in the 80s, especially when you're a young band and you're not established, I mean, the goal is they want a hit out of you. It's a business, you know. So as musicians, you you know what you want it to sound like, but sometimes it doesn't always get to be that way when you're you're not an established band. This is true. Um, But if you you want a little insight, I mean, you've been in radio how many years, so you've obviously Mm -hmm. interviewed a lot of bands have probably musicians have told you little dark secrets about the music business and you uh-huh. turn around and say, wow, I didn't know that, but let me tell you this. Um, unfortunately, and I can say it now because I really don't give a crap and nobody's going to come to my house and beat me up from the record company. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like it, then shove it. But unfortunately, you get some of these record company executives mm-hmm. that like 
Joan Baez or Simon and Garfunkel, which is not wrong with it. I mean, sure. I love music. I listen to all genres of music. But how could you expect these people that don't listen to this to try to make it that? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They sign a band like Twisted Sister and they say, you know what? I, I like Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I really don't care for them. But if you think they're good, well, we'll sign them and you make something out of them. Right. Um, that's that's kind of like half-hearted because you're not really putting out. If you sign a band that they love, I mean, the type of music that they love, and you sign a band that they love, they're going to see to it that you get every dollar and cent, and then some. So we were kind of, we were kind of caught between a rock and a hard place because they only gave us a certain amount of budget. Mm-hmm. They only t- told us that we were going to reach a certain amount of magnitude. And they, uh, in a sense, stay hungry. That's a make it or break it. Mm-hmm. And they made it. And then, unfortunately, we wanted to continue on and make it even better. And they said, well, you know what? We got some other things. So you guys are on your own. You do what you got to do. And if it's the album comes out, it's good, it's good. If it's not, we don't care. We're pulling the plug anyway. And unfortunately, that's the way the business is sure. back then. Used you now up and spit you up. Yeah. Nowadays, with the help of the Internet and uh, YouTube and and uh, streaming, and, and you can come out with an album and not even sign with a record label, mm-hmm. open up a PayPal account, uh, an account and sell it yourself. And you could probably sell a million albums. Yeah, you won't get the acclaim from the RCAA. Right. You won't get a gold or platinum album on your wall. But you, you made $2 million selling it yourself. Who cares? Yeah, you probably make a hell of a lot more money in the long run. Yeah, I got fifty gold and platinum albums on my wall. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But I still have to. I still have to work sometimes to, uh, to do security in our jobs when when we're off the road because I, I didn't really juggle a lot of money, and yeah. that's the honest truth. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, like people look at you know and they say, "Oh man, you toured the world seven times. You sold twenty some odd million albums. You must be a millionaire." And I'm like. Nah. Your nah. accountants and your oh. uh, managers, maybe, but. Accountants, management, IRS, mm-hmm. New York State, New York City, uh, yep. this one, that one, this one, that. It, it, you know, you make all this money, and here you are giving half of it out to, yep. you know, this and, and that. And it's like, that's the truth. That's what I went through. Not mm-hmm. a lot of people go through that, but I'm not ashamed to say that's what I went through, and I've always worked hard and mm-hmm. been honest and made an honest living. But a lot of people are disillusioned between the record company and the artists. And it's not like what you see on the TV and the movies, you know. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show.